Welcome to episode 247 of the TruthQuest podcast, The Truth About the FBI. In the last episode, number 246, The Truth About the Successful Coup d'etat, I walked through the findings of Special Counsel John Durham's report on the FBI's role in investigating Donald Trump's alleged collusion with Russia. The report proved what anyone who got real news over the last seven years already knew, that the investigation was opened with not a single shred of evidence pointing at the core issue. In fact, the only evidence that the FBI and the rest of the intelligence community did have was that the whole thing was made up by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And yet, we still got illegal surveillance and persecution of all things Trump, as well as the Mueller investigation, and probably most importantly, 30% of the population has been brainwashed into thinking that Trump and his supporters are the devil, or Nazis, or white supremacists, or election deniers, or whatever other poison they have been fed on a loop by the Democrats and the alphabet soup conspiracy media. In the end, the Durham report confirmed what many have thought for a long time. Seemingly, everyone in leadership at the DOJ and FBI are corrupt, power-hungry political hacks with no allegiance to the Constitution, and there are not enough of the rank and file who are willing to either resign or come forward as whistleblowers. If that seems provocative, give me the next 20 minutes to make my case. Let me know how you feel about them after concluding this episode. Let's start at the beginning. The Constitution. Guess what? There is no mention of a federal police force in the Constitution. You may recall if you ever studied the Constitution that there is a clause in there about no standing armies. How many FBI agents do we have roaming the country? Approximately 13,000. How many other federal agencies employ full-time law enforcement officers who are authorized to carry firearms and make arrests in the United States? That would be 73. Those 73 federal agencies employ 120,000 full-time law enforcement officers who are authorized to carry firearms and make arrests. Talk about a standing army. Back to the FBI. There is nothing the FBI does that is legal or constitutional that state and local authorities cannot handle. Fraud, theft, murder, assault, bank robbery, burglary, white-collar crime, cybercrime, terrorism, kidnapping, extortion, civil rights infringements, organized crime, and bribery are already illegal in all 50 states. Don't like that argument? Consider this. How is it that Europe somehow manages to survive without a Europe-wide police force? Data-sharing organizations like Interpol which are staffed by agents with no power to arrest or launch their own investigations, somehow manage to work. But in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, we have a federal police force. Sounds Soviet Union-ish to me. See, here's the thing. Since the Constitution did not make a provision for a federal police force, there wasn't one for almost half of the country's existence. It wasn't until 1908 when then-Attorney General Charles Bonaparte created the Bureau of Investigation within the Department of Justice. In 1924, Attorney General Harold Stone reorganized the Bureau and appointed J. Edgar Hoover as its director. The Bureau of Investigation was renamed the United States Bureau of Investigation in 1932 and received its current name in 1935. Let's take a walk down memory lane and explore the dozens of instances of abuse of power and straight-up illegalities committed by the FBI since its inception. After hearing them, you tell me, should this agency even exist? 
The Bureau was small potatoes until Woodrow Wilson dragged the United States into World War I. In one fell swoop, the number of dangerous Americans increased by perhaps 20-fold. The Espionage Act of 1917 made it easy to jail anyone who criticized the war or the government. In September 1918, the Bureau, working with local police and private vigilantes, seized more than 50,000 suspected draft dodgers off the street and out of restaurants in New York and New Jersey alone. The Justice Department was disgraced when the vast majority of young men who had been arrested turned out to be innocent. Did they learn their lesson? Oh, hell no. Once you get a taste of unfettered power, it is irresistible. Plus, Woodrow Wilson despised the Constitution, so that certainly wasn't going to be a hindrance to him and his police force. Fear of socialists, communists, and anarchists led to what is called the Palmer Raids in 1919 and 1920, where nearly 10,000 suspected Reds and radicals were arrested by the Bureau. Then Attorney General Mitchell Palmer sought to use the massive roundups to propel his presidential candidacy. Nothing like using a federal police force to advance your political career. A federal judge put an end to that charade when he demanded that the Justice Department provide evidence of why people had been arrested. Does that fear tactic sound familiar? They are still employing it today. See if you sense the recurring theme as we proceed. After the debacle of the Palmer raids, the Bureau devoted its attention to the nation's real enemies, the U.S. Congress, as the Bureau targeted senators whom the Attorney General saw as threats to America. The Bureau was breaking into their offices and homes, intercepting their mail, and tapping their telephones. All of that was at the beginning of this rogue agency. You can already see the beginnings of how they can justify today trying to frame and illegally surveilling a presidential candidate, and eventually the president, and setting up a bunch of protesters 100 years later. As I mentioned, J. Edgar Hoover was named the director in 1924, where he remained until his death in 1972. He's been rightly criticized for overzealousness and for investigating and persecuting individuals he viewed as radical and subversive. Again, that's par for the course when it comes to this agency. Hoover built a revered agency that intimidated official Washington. The FBI tapped the home telephones of a Supreme Court clerk, and at least one Supreme Court justice feared the FBI had bugged the conference room where justices privately discussed cases. In 1945, President Harry Truman wrote in his diary, quote, We want no Gestapo or secret police. FBI is tending in that direction. They must stop, end quote. Neither Truman or any other subsequent president did anything about this. The Bureau's power soared after Congress passed the Internal Security Act of 1950, authorizing massive crackdowns on suspected subversives. Hoover compiled a list of more than 20,000, quote, potentially or actually dangerous Americans who could be seized and locked away at the president's command. Hoover specified that the hearing procedures for detentions would not be bound by the rules of evidence. In other words, the Constitution. From 1956 through 1971, the FBI's COINTELPRO, short for Counterintelligence Program, conducted thousands of covert operations through extra-legal means aimed at discrediting and neutralizing domestic American political organizations, including the Communist Party of the United States, the Ku Klux Klan, the Socialist Workers Party, the Black Panther Party, and peace activists. They even went after civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., the assassination of Malcolm X was contributed to COINTELPRO. 
Through this program, they incited street warfare between violent groups. They got people fired, portrayed innocent people as government informants, and crippled and destroyed subversive groups like black power, communists, feminists, white racists, and anti-war organizations. FBI agents also busied themselves forging poison pen letters to wreck activists' marriages. They engaged in a campaign of surveillance, harassment, disruption, and assassination, if only by proxy, targeting political dissidents. Does any of that sound familiar? A Senate report characterized COINTELPRO as, quote, a secret war against those citizens the FBI considers threats to the established order. COINTELPRO was exposed only after a handful of activists burglarized an FBI office in a Philadelphia suburb, seized FBI files, and leaked the damning documents to the media. If you understand COINTELPRO, you will see the FBI's fingerprints on everything we are about to discuss in the lightning round from the framing of Trump to Governor Whitmer's kidnapping to January 6th. The actions of the intelligence community during this period were so egregious that a Senate committee known as the Church Committee was established to investigate the CIA, NSA, and the FBI. The 16-month investigation, which included 126 committee meetings, 40 subcommittee hearings, 150 staff members, and 800 witness interviews, uncovered shocking facts and intelligence operations that had been unknown to both Congress and the public. The committee's final report required six volumes and totaled 2,700 pages and included the evidence I just described about COINTELPRO. One of the outcomes of the Church Committee was the enactment of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, FISA, in 1978, which requires intelligence agencies to submit requests for search warrants to a special federal court and obtain court permission before instigating surveillance of American citizens. Fast forward 40 years, and we have an FBI that regularly lies to the FISA court. And just last week, we found out that the FBI conducted 278,000 illegal searches of the database created by Section 702 of the FISA Act. I think it's important for everyone to understand the mindset of the FBI, specifically how they train their special agents. FBI agents, unlike other law enforcement personnel in the United States, are trained and encouraged to lie as an investigative technique. They face no criminal, civil, or administrative punishment for lying in the course of an interrogation. A victim who is manipulated, intimidated, and barraged with unfamiliar and often contradictory details and accusations will inevitably say something that could be considered incriminating or that he might later contradict in some trivial way. That's why you often hear people are charged with lying to the FBI or making false statements, I think is the official term. And there's no mention of the crime that they were originally under investigation for. It's a sham. It simply means if the FBI is looking at you for a crime and you survive their interrogation, they're going to at least get you for lying to them or making false statements. That's what they charge General Michael Flynn with. It's absolute bullshit. Constitutional scholar Harvey Silverglade explains it this way, quote, FBI agents always interview in pairs. One agent asks the questions while the other writes up what is called the Form 302 report based on his notes. The 302 report, which the interviewee does not normally see, becomes the official record of the exchange. FBI agents conveniently, rarely electronically record their interrogations. Doesn't that make the 302s, how we shall we say, fungible or editable? 
Ever wonder why FBI agents are not required to wear body cameras when they make arrests, like virtually every cop in America? Makes it awfully convenient to, again, fudge or edit statements to align with your fellow agents should something go awry. The FBI explicitly teaches its agents that, quote, the FBI has the ability to bend or suspend the law to impinge on the freedoms of others, end quote. Similarly, an FBI Academy ethics course taught new agents that subjects of FBI investigations have, quote, forfeited their right to the truth, end quote. I'll let you chew on that for a while. I'm going to spend the rest of the episode, as I previously mentioned, in a lightning round of the FBI's most recent greatest hits. Well, it's really just a collection of the Bureau's most recent debacles, illegalities, violations of constitutional rights of suspects, and overreach. Let's start with April 19, 1993, when the FBI used 54-ton Abram tanks to smash into the Branch Davidians' ramshackle home near Waco, Texas. The tanks intentionally collapsed 25% of the building on top of the huddled residence. After the FBI pumped the building full of CS gas, a gas that's banned for use on enemy soldiers by a chemical weapons treaty, a fire ignited that left 80 children, women, and men dead. FBI agents even stopped fire trucks from a local fire department from putting out the fire. In case you're wondering, yes, the Attorney General, then Janet Reno, approved the FBI's assault on the Davidians compound. However, she claims she was misled by FBI leadership, so much so that she sent U.S. Marshals to raid FBI headquarters in search of evidence. The only truth-telling that came across from the FBI on that day was the FBI's on-scene commander, Larry Potts. He explained the rationale for the FBI's final assault as, quote, these people had thumbed their nose at law enforcement. End quote. That seems like the motto of the FBI, doesn't it? Here's another. The FBI lost track of a key informant at the heart of the cabal that detonated a truck bomb beneath the World Trade Center in that same year, 1993. Do you remember the Richard Jewell saga? On July 7, 1996, a pipe bomb went off at Centennial Olympic Park in Atlanta, where the world's athletes and media were gathered for the Olympic Games. The FBI decided that 33-year-old security guard Richard Jewell, who found the bomb and helped clear the area and minimize fatalities, had also planted the bomb. FBI agents lured Jewell over to their Atlanta office and asked him to help them make a training video about detecting bombs. The ruse allowed the agents to question Jewell extensively without reading him a Miranda warning, without alerting him that anything he said could be used against him. As Investors Business Daily noted, quote, Jewel was the Bureau's top suspect, a fact that was leaked to the press in time for cameras to catch agents pouring over Jewel's home, end quote. FBI leaks led to 88 days of hell for Jewel. He saw his life and reputation dragged in the gutter day after day. The FBI did nothing to curb the media harassment of Jewel long after it had recognized that he was innocent. Are you sensing a pattern here? Here's another notable FBI failure. They failed to mount a full investigation of Al-Qaeda member and 9-11 conspirator Karius Mosawi, a student at a Minnesota flight school. Remember, he's the one who told the instructors he didn't need to learn to land the plane? Agents found that he had jihadist beliefs, a large amount of money in the bank, and a suspicious record of travel in and around Pakistan. Nevertheless, FBI agents did not obtain a warrant to conduct a search of Masawi's computer because they did not find probable cause sufficient to meet what they thought were required legal standards. Contract that behavior with how the FBI treats all things Trump 
and the small-time trespassers and vandals from January 6th. More on that later. Following 9-11, the Patriot Act was enacted in order to track foreigners. It has been roundfully abused by the FBI and other intelligence agencies to spy on U.S. citizens since. In 2006, the American Civil Liberties Union revealed that the FBI has been spying on numerous political activist groups in the U.S., a charge that the FBI denied, but that was confirmed by a DOJ Office of Inspector General report in 2010. The FBI has recently settled with families and victims of the 2018 Parkland, Florida shootings following their failure to follow up on tips about the gunman. The FBI has said that a tip about the shooter wasn't assessed as a potential threat to life when someone close to the shooter, Nicholas Cruz, called an agency tip line about him. The person described Cruz's gun ownership, desire to kill people, erratic behavior, disturbing social media posts, as well as a warning that Cruz was potentially capable of carrying out a school shooting, and the FBI dropped the ball, just like they did with Larry Nasser. Do you remember this train wreck? The FBI ignored the pleas of U.S. gymnasts to investigate their doctor, Larry Nasser, for sexual assault. Nasser was subsequently convicted and is serving a 100-year prison sentence. The victims are now suing for $130 million in damages. At this point, would you be shocked if I told you that the FBI is no better than a band of bank robbers with federal badges? Consider this. In March 2021, the FBI seized an estimated $86 million in cash, jewelry, and gold from hundreds of safety deposit boxes in a raid in Beverly Hills. Court documents now show that in order to get that warrant, to pull off that heist, the FBI lied to the judge who issued the warrant. Moreover, the FBI omitted from their warrant request a central part of their plan to permanently confiscate everything inside every box. Continuing the lightning round. The FBI now spends its time targeting concerned parents who express displeasure with their local school boards. These parents now apparently fall into the category of domestic terrorists. FBI whistleblowers explained to Congressman Jim Jordan that the FBI labeled dozens of investigations into parents with a threat tag created by the Bureau's Counterterrorism Division to assess and track investigations related to school boards. The National School Board Association, they sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland, who then ordered the FBI to pursue the disgruntled parents as domestic terrorists. How many of you are aware of the Twitter files? They are the subject of episodes 228 and 234. In a nutshell, the FBI now serves as the belly button of censorship by fellow federal agencies and interest groups aligned with the doomsday cult formerly known as the Democratic Party, who simply submit their censorship requests to the FBI, who then nicely distributes them to various social media platforms. No need to consider the First Amendment here. Headline, FBI admits to targeting devout Catholics after whistleblower Kyle Serafin reports on leaked bureau document warning agents of dangers of radical traditionalist Catholic ideology. Don't you find it interesting that being a traditional Catholic is now labeled as radical by the federal thought police? Kind of like Trump supporters are ultra MAGA, ultra right-wing extremists. According to internal documents released by the House Judiciary Committee, the FBI recently sought to develop sources inside Christian churches and Catholic dioceses as part of an effort to combat domestic terrorism. This on top of the FBI monitoring of church services during covid I gotta tell you folks, this is the type of shit that goes on in China. Proving that totalitarians are all the same. It doesn't matter where they live.
Here's another little nugget for you. The FBI regularly ignores subpoenas issued by Republicans in Congress. In the interest of time, I won't document all of the cases, but you can certainly look them up for yourself. Go back to the Paul Ryan speakership days and then move forward. That's where it all started. I want to briefly touch on a topic that we have discussed repeatedly here on the TruthQuest podcast, that being the dual justice system in America, one for well-connected Democrats and Democratic voters, and one for everyone else. This system is rigidly enforced by the DOJ and the FBI. Consider the fact that zero BLM and Antifa rioters from the summer of rage in 2020 are in prison right now. Juxtapose that to the treatment of the small-time trespassers and vandals from January 6th. And while we're on the topic of January 6th, can it be any clearer now that the FBI was heavily involved in the instigation of that entire event? They had dozens, if not hundreds, of operatives or assets embedded with the crowd that day, pushing the crowd forward. Look up the name Ray Epps if you want to get a flavor of their involvement. In the aftermath, the FBI went to Bank of America without a warrant and demanded customer transaction records in and around D.C. on the days leading up to January 6th. Never forget that Bank of America did indeed provide that information. And here we are two years later, and the FBI DOJ recently announced that they plan to arrest a thousand more people who happened to be in D.C. on that day. This is Gestapo-like behavior that must be stopped. How many of you remember the pipe bomb planted outside the Democratic National Committee headquarters on January 5th, 2021 in D.C.? Not many of you are likely aware of it because the alphabet soup conspiracy media has not covered the story for obvious reasons. Investigators previously tracked the bomber to a Metro Rail smart trip card and then to an identified vehicle via CCTV monitoring. However, for some curiously odd reason, the FBI has not arrested the individual. Perhaps the FBI hasn't solved the case because mm, they were behind it? Just saying. It smells like another COINTELPRO type operation, doesn't it? Presumably to enhance the domestic terrorist narrative. Why hasn't the FBI solved this case? I mean, other than Beijing, China, no city in the world has more cameras than D.C. It can't be that difficult to follow the bomber's footsteps. One last January 6th related FBI bullshit story, the Proud Boys. You want to talk about a joke? Look into this group and the FBI's infiltration of them. The trial of several of them recently concluded. It's all in the recent headlines. Continuing the dual justice claim, the FBI announced that it destroyed all the evidence it gathered into the actions of Hillary Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, and the mountains of foreign money that flowed into the Clintons when she, Hillary, was Secretary of State. This comes after revelations that the FBI shut down four separate investigations into the Clinton campaign in the run-up to the 2016 election. So just let me get this straight. While the FBI was manufacturing evidence of a non-existent Trump-Putin connection, it was actively covering for Hillary and is continuing to do so today. Talk about election interference. Do you remember Hillary's private server that was loaded with classified information? That was, of course, not subject to the Freedom of Information Act, but allowed her to weaponize her power at the State Department and enhance Bill's standing at the Clinton Foundation and enrich them and fund the punishment of their political adversaries. What most people don't know is the FBI provided several integral people in the Hillary camp who had knowledge of the server with immunity agreements, meaning they could never be prosecuted in the future or forced to testify. How convenient is that? And of course, we have James Comey's famous No Reasonable Prosecutor press conference days before the 2016 election. 
The Hunter Biden laptop has the FBI's fingerprints all over it. Check out episode 184 for details. And when I say the FBI's fingerprints are all over it, I mean it because well before the 2016 election, the FBI had possession of the hard drive, which literally drips with evidence, not just of corruption, but of money laundering, influence peddling, rampant drug use, prostitution, and Chinese intelligence connections to Joe and his associates. The FBI sat on it. They did nothing. I'll say it again. That's what we normals call election interference and a corrupt federal law enforcement agency. Instead of investigating Hunter Biden, the FBI felt its time would be well spent staging a kidnapping plot of Michigan Governor Gretchen the totalitarian Whitmore in order to help bolster the often repeated claim by the doomsday cult formerly known as the Democratic Party and Attorney General Merrick Garland's claims of the rise of right-wing extremists. You know, domestic terrorists, like the concerned parents at school board meetings. The Whitmer case basically came down to federal agents who originated the idea and basically entrapped a, a bunch of poor suckers who were prosecuted, most of whom were acquitted. Do you think it's a coincidence that the same agent that was heavily involved in the Whitmer frame job was also heavily involved in the January 6th frame job? Here's something I was only peripherally aware of prior to preparing for this episode. This unconstitutional federal police force makes our local and state law enforcement less accountable. Through federal task force, the FBI grants state and local cops ridiculously broad immunity when they are working with one of the task force, in essence providing the means for local police forces to skirt the law. In recent decades, many local governments have attempted to enhance police accountability by putting limits on police immunity and requiring the use of devices such as body cams. The FBI, however, provides local police with the way of getting around these laws. The federal government has invented Joint Task Force, which deputized local police to work with the FBI and other federal agencies who, as I mentioned earlier, do not require the use of body cams and employ a lower standard of use of force. These task force are also a cash cow for local bureaucrats. The USA Today put it this way. The nation's more than 1,100 joint task force include thousands of police officers, sheriff's deputies, and state troopers cross-deputized as federal agents who collaborate with federal officers. Local and state officials who serve on federal task force are still on their employing agency's payroll, but can easily earn overtime pay from the federal government. Aside from an increasingly narrow set of circumstances, federal officers often cannot be sued for violating the Constitution, no matter how egregious their conduct. As a result, officers who serve on these task force are shielded by yet another form of immunity on top of qualified immunity. The recently released Durham report paints a graphic picture of an out-of-control Federal Bureau of Investigation. The agency did not stumble into the investigation of Donald Trump, his campaign, and his associates. The FBI undertook to deliberately destroy Trump and those around him. They took unto itself the power to decide who could be president. That is what the normals call election interference. In a recent Rasmussen survey, 59% of likely U.S. voters believe FBI officials involved in promoting the false Russia Trump claims should be criminally prosecuted. So what's the answer to this mess? There is only one. Congress must defund this agency. They can start small by removing the funding for specific divisions, then ramp up the pressure from there. Pre-announce who will not get paid next week until XYZ happens. Week after week, month after month, continue defunding the agency. 
brick by brick until justice is served and people go to prison, and even then, shutter the doors forever. If that solution is not drastic enough for you, how about this? You remember how I told you the FBI got its start? Some attorney general over 100 years ago created it out of whole cloth, without congressional input. Presumably, it can be abolished just as easily. Certainly, it can be abolished by the president since it's part of the executive branch of government. The FBI no longer answers to the elected representatives of the American people, nor does it care what they think. The agency can't claim any longer that it, it occasionally gets sloppy or that it makes errors in judgment. People who believe that are full. The FBI leadership decided long ago that it was above the law. The agency is rotten to the core. Their training materials all but say that. They no longer investigate crimes looking for the perpetrator. They investigate people looking for crimes, or they frame people for the crime they are investigating, or they entrap people into committing crimes so that they can then arrest them. All of that assumes that they'll get off their ass and pursue an investigation at all, i.e. Larry Nasser, the Parkland shooting. One federal judge described the FBI's practice of entrapment, concluding that the government, quote, came up with the crime, provided the means, and removed all relevant obstacles in order to make a terrorist out of a man. Every time the agency gets caught breaking the very laws they are there to enforce, they say they are implementing new policies. Hell, that's not even accurate. John Durham concluded in his report that new policies weren't necessary. He simply stated that the FBI needed to renew its commitment to follow the policies already in place. They are so brazen in their lawlessness. As I was preparing the content for this episode, three FBI whistleblowers testified before a congressional committee and confirmed much of what I've already discussed. They accused the FBI of targeting Catholics, pro-life groups, and parents attending school board meetings, of cooking the books on domestic terrorism, of unconstitutionally using SWAT teams to intimidate nonviolent January 6th suspects, of investigating Americans for nothing more than taking a bus to Washington to hear their president speak, of coercing Bank of America to turn over credit card transactions of anyone who came to D.C. on January 6, 2021, whether they are at the Capitol or not. And I'll conclude this episode with a quote from Ryan McMakin. Quote, FBI agents have long displayed a contempt for basic human rights and instead function as a partisan federal secret police designed to protect the powerful at the expense of ordinary Americans. This organization should be decentralized, defunded, stripped of its power, and ultimately abolished. There is nothing the FBI does that military intelligence and state and local police cannot do on their own. And that's the truth about the FBI. Please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and share episodes with your friends. 